Numbers chapter 21, and you're turning there, let me remind you once again that uh, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that all these things happen to the nation of Israel uh, for our learning that we, there were examples to us, and so we have the same nature that they had, we uh, have the same trials, we commit the same sins, and, but we don't have to if we would learn from them and see ourselves and see uh, the pitfalls, uh, we could be um, probably much better off if we'd avoid those things, but I find myself having the same nature, same sins that we find the people of Israel. Where we are in Numbers 21 is that we're uh, near the end of the 40-year journey in the wilderness. Um, they have come up to the south of 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 Israel, or come up to the south of Canaan, at that time it wasn't Israel, they come to the south of Canaan preparing maybe to go into the land, and so um, they are gathered back together and anticipating going into the land of promise, and so we read this in Numbers 21, the king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, that's the south of the Canaanite or south of Israel, not in Israel, but south of what's now Israel, heard that Israel was coming on the road to a fast, oh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Thank you. Yeah. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormath, so destruction. Now, remember, 38 years ago, they came basically to the same place, and they went up and attacked. When Moses said, we're not going to enter into the land because you were disobedient, didn't believe God, and the people got, came back the next day and said, we're going up because we're, we're sorry that we did that, said that, so we're going up. So Moses didn't go, Joshua didn't go, but, but, but a group of people went up and fought and, and lost and uh, were defeated, and so they called it destruction then, but then it was destruction of the Israelis, but now it's these people. Let me say to you once again, let me, let me remind you, uh, in this chapter, we're not going to look at all of it, but... Uh, they're going to fight some more battles, and, but not in the land of Israel yet, not in the land of Canaan, but around the land of Canaan. And let me remind you once again what God told Abraham uh, back in Genesis 15, I think Genesis 15, God told Abraham that the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So he said, your people are going to dwell in, in, in Egypt for 400 years, and then in the fourth generation, they're going to come back into the land. Because the iniquity of the people is not yet full. So when we read that Israel's going to fight these battles with these people who dwell in the land, and see, it's still going on today. This issue is still going on today. The reason I'm trying to make it clear, when he's saying we're going to fight these battles with the people in the land, and Israel destroys them, men, women, children, sometimes animals, uh, sometimes they burn their cities, sometimes they occupy their cities. So and we want to say, is that fair, is that right, is that equitable, is that justice, what, what is that? And I want to remind you once again, this, this 
God of the Old Testament is the, it's Jesus Christ. He's the rock that followed them. So he, he, he is God, and he's the same as God, and so there is no difference between the Old Testament and New Testament God. He is the same. These people were idolatrous, which means that the generations that followed them were going to be idolatrous, and that they were going to, uh, they were going to spend eternity in hell because they didn't believe, they rejected God. They rejected the one true God, and they're idolatrous, and so there was no hope for them. And so, it, in a sense, I, I don't know how to say it. I, I, wanted, I started to say, in a sense, uh, God's helping them, but it's, it's not. I, I don't know how to say it, so I wish I hadn't said it. I don't know how to, you understand where I am? I don't know what to say to you, but God is justified. God is justified in having Israel do this. In this chapter, these nations always attacked Israel first. Maybe that makes us feel better, makes me feel a little better anyway, I don't know. Today, there's still the issue, if you've been watching the news in Israel, between the Palestinians and, and Israel and the flare-ups, and uh, I always think it's interesting, seven or nine, I think, Palestinians were killed last week, and, and the world's in an uproar, and hundreds of Ukrainians were killed, and nobody seems to care, uh, by Russia's aggression. Isn't that interesting? You know what that is? It's anti-Semitism at work. It is the devil is creating havoc in, in our world through the hatred of Israel and the hatred of things that pertain to the Lord. Now, that's just my opinion. That's not political. It's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. But it's easy for me to, to see that. Well, so this happens, and then in the midst of this is an illustration for us, and it's the bronze serpent affair. You, what I've called it an affair, because you're, you're familiar with the story, but let's just read it. Verse 4, and then they journeyed from Mount Horta by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Uh, imagine, so we're looking at a map, and this is Canaan, this brown wood is Canaan, and Israel's come up from the south, and they're right on the edge of Canaan. And now they, they're, they're there, and they find opposition. So they, 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 they can't go in. And so now they're going to journey, and they're going to go back to the east and into the mountainous region. And then they're going to go all the way up to where the Dead Sea is, and then attempt once more then to go west into, into, into the land of Canaan. And it's a long journey, it's an artist's journey, it's an it's a arid area, and, and here they were right on the edge of the promised land. And they can't go in, and they back out and they go around. And so the people are very discouraged. I would be, you would be, it's our nature to be, um, and that's what we read in verse 4. And then verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. There have been several times they've spoken against Moses, and God took it personally, but now they're speaking against God straight up and against Moses, and here's what they said, verse 5. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Our soul loathes this bread. It is something, and they're speaking to God, 
And uh, so they are very disrespectful toward God and what he's done on their behalf. He has brought them to this place. He's provided for them. He has provided water. He's provided food. And they just were tired of it and very discouraged. When I get discouraged, my faith is is tested. I start to say wavers. I think that's probably a good word. My faith wavers when I'm discouraged. How about you? I I just happen to recognize it these days uh, and try not to interact with people too much. Find me a place and read. (laughs) So... Uh, you're probably the same way. I don't know if you recognize it in yourself. If you're married, your spouse will tell you. And uh, if, if, if you allow them to, they'll tell you. But So anyway, the people are discouraged. And so here's what happened. So the Lord, because of their, not discouragement, not because of their discouragement, but because of their reaction to it, to the Lord. So we read this in verse 6. So the Lord sends fiery serpents among the people, and they bite the people, and many of the people of Israel died. In that land, there were a problem with snakes. People didn't wear, uh, they didn't wear long pants. They wore sandals. And so they got snake bit. <clears throat> and they had to be able to watch out for it a long time. Well, this is more than that. This is God sends them. And the people begin to be bitten. And they begin to die. They're very... Sick, fiery, might have met the color of the serpent. It might have met the pain they experienced after the bite. And then they began to die from the bite. That's what it said in verse 6. So we read in verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, that probably is the color then, of, and, and it's going to be out of bronze. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, then he looked at the bronze serpent, and he lived. So here's the, here's the issue. Uh, the serpents were biting them, and so God said to Moses, make, a, make a, a fiery serpent. So he makes it out of bronze. It, the symbolism in the Bible, bronze is judgment. Uh, gold is kingship, bronze is judgment. So he makes this serpent, the very thing biting them, and he puts it up on a pole where it's easy to see. We don't know if it's horizontal on the pole or whether it's wrapped around the pole, but it's up on the pole for, for people to see. Now, I want to talk about this for a minute. I want to talk about uh, what, what happens when we read this, and he said that when people look at it, they'll live, and down in verse 9, and anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived, whether they'd been bitten or, or how bad they were. Uh, so the serpent's on a pole, and, and here, here's what Ronald, a man named Ronald Allen wrote. He said, think of the enormity of what Moses was asked to do, of the taboos he was asked to break. The people had called the bread of heaven detestable, and now Moses is making an image of something truly detestable in their culture. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> he's making an image of something that is also detestable, and he's putting it on a pole, and as their only means of deliverance from disease and death, this is an extraordinary act of culture shock. Uh, 
And I think it would be, and I, I think it would be to us. So he's saying, just look at this, look at this on the pole, and, and you'll be healed. You'll be saved. Okay. You go into uh, the book of John, and in the third chapter, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. You re- remember this? He's speaking to Nicodemus, and, and Nicodemus, a very uh, well-known ruler of the Jews, very knowledgeable man about biblical things. He was a teacher of the law, and, uh, but he wasn't saved, and Jesus was saying to him, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus said, how, how can I be born again? His mind thinking about the physical. How can a grown man be born again? And Jesus said to him, it's, the, it's of the Spirit. I'm going to paraphrase, of the Spirit. Where the Spirit moves, you can't see it, but... The, uh, where the wind blows, you, you can't see it. But when, when what happens is that you can see the result of it. And so he's saying to him that, uh, and then Jesus says this, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. So Jesus refers to this incident. And Jesus said that's an illustration of salvation in the New Testament. With this, this illustration, this physical illustration to be physically healed when you look at that serpent on the pole and then Jesus is going to be lifted up on the cross and when you look to him, you can be saved as well. Now the Lord, the Lord read this, understood this and said, that's talking about me. That's talking about what I'm doing for you about salvation. I want to talk to you uh, this morning very briefly because Jesus said that. Then he said in John 6, look to me and be saved. I want to say, what does it mean? What does it mean to look to him? What does it mean to, to look to Christ? I want to speak to you theologically about salvation. Okay, so uh, pay attention. I, you know, I, mean, I don't mean to tell you what to do, but you know. <laughs> But I'm telling you, you, you know, you have to think hard. You have to think hard. What is salvation? There are a lot of people who know about Jesus. Uh, I, I read novels, and uh, since I retired, and read novels, and, and people use theology in novels to make plot lines. They, people know about Jesus, but they're not, they don't believe in him. They, they've read about him. They, they may have believed he lived historically, but they don't believe in him for salvation. They don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection for the uh, perpetuation, the blood sacrifice, or penal substitution, however you want to say it. They don't believe that. They, they believe historically, but they don't believe that. So they look at him historically, but they're not looking at him in salvation. Um, I, so what, what does it mean to, to be saved? And that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning and the historical uh, conservative, I don't know how to say it, conservative theologians, uh, the, they, they believe salvation consists of three parts. Now, don't, don't, don't get worried. You know, it's not things you have to do, but it's things you have to be. And when you see, when you see Jesus, so let me, let me give it to you. They, they believe that it, Spurgeon wrote this. Spurgeon wrote, Faith is of the eye which looks, the hand which grasps, and the mouth which feeds upon Christ. You remember Jesus said, and I think it's John 6, he said uh, to the crowds, if, 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 if you're going to be with me, you're, you're going to have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. 
And they, some people thought, well, you're talking about cannibalism. But, but he's speaking about it. Some people just, today, they think about you're talking about communion. No, it's, ne- it's neither of those. What he's saying is that you have to ingest me in your life. You have to, your life has to feed upon me. That's what Spurgeon was saying. Your life has to, it has to center around me. Your life has to, I don't know about your activity, but he's talking about your, your belief. It, it has to be fed. So the, the theologians believe that salvation had three aspects. It was content, assent, and trust. Or I would use the word commitment. Trust is commitment. When I trust you, I'm committed to you. And so three aspects. I want to talk to you about them very briefly. Content. Content is the gospel. Paul gave it to us in 1 Corinthians 15. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. No other name given under heaven whereby you must be saved. So salvation is only through the dead, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only through the shed blood of Christ. Only through the propitiating blood of Christ. There is no other salvation. No other religion has a genuine salvation. Okay, I'm not saying in no other church. You know, don't misunderstand me. No other religion other than Christianity has a genuine salvation. And not much of Christianity has a genuine salvation. Because our, our, our Baptists are going away from that. And just saying, well, you know, that was old, that was, that was old days and now we're living in a new culture and it, you, you just, we can't just rely upon that. Now we have to, now we have to think about uh, God understands who we are today. And so we become good people. Be a good person. You know, do good. Uh, and, and, and so we're, we're going away. Even Baptists are going away from that. The majority of the world who even believe you need any kind of redemption believes you do it through your own good works. Uh, if you any religion you want to name, that's basically what they believe. So there's there's two religions in the world, two categories I should say, and one of them is that Christ did it for us, and the other one is you do it yourself. And 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 thank goodness the Lord spoke to you and I one day, and we're here today because we believe Christ did it for us, and not of ourselves. We're not capable. So content back to back. Content is what you believe about the gospel. Now, to be saved, you don't have to know all that. You don't have, you don't have, to, you don't have to know all that. You just have to, you, you have to see Jesus and think, I need a Savior, He's the Savior. And I'm going to believe in Him. And then there's asset. Asset means I accept that. Okay, I've talked to you about the, our world can acknowledge there is a Christ, that He did die, His name is Jesus, uh, historically, he's, he's a person. Uh, we measure our time by when he came and when he died. So uh, he's there, and we acknowledge him. And some people believe and <clears throat> more than others. But, so our world acknowledges that, but they don't give assent to who he is. Assent means that I believe that. I believe that in, those, in that content, in that death, burial, resurrection, I believe that. I'm accepting that intellectually. I'm accepting that as absolute truth. So I am a, believe that. 
Paul writes about this and said, it's foolishness. Remember in 1 Corinthians, he, he writes, it, it's foolishness. The, 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 the cross is foolishness to people who don't believe. How, how silly it would be that God, who is the creator of everything, would give his son to die for a person like me. And they're saying, that is just absolute foolishness. And you know what? It is. But it's what he did. It is foolishness. Why would he do that? It makes no, it makes no sense. But, but he did it out of grace. He did it what Lucy sang about. He did it out of grace. He did it out of mercy. He, he did it for his glory. And let me digress from the notes here and just say to you, Christ didn't, I, this is what I believe, Christ didn't die because he loved me that much. He didn't die because he loved you that much. Now, I know you've heard it preached that he did. He didn't die because he loved you that much. He didn't die because he loved me that much. He died because he loved the Father. Okay, he loved the Father. And it's to the glory of the Father that the Son gives salvation to people like us. And we worship. And we worship the Son, we worship the Father. It's to His glory. And we reap the benefit. I, I'm, we're the beneficiaries of that love. So did He love us? Yes. But, but, but Christ died for the justification and the glorification of the Father. So, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you get that, and, and Scripture teaches that, if you get that, it helps you feel more secure. Because what happens to us and what happens to me is that I'm a sinner. I, I can teach you on Sunday morning and have a fight with my wife on Sunday afternoon. Sometimes we don't get through dinner. <laughs> now, not every Sunday, thank goodness. <laughs> and you probably do too. You know, so what, what can happen to us is that we can have the weakness of the flesh and begin to sin, and we think, well, I'm, not, I'm really not saved. How could I do that if I was saved? How could I think that if I was saved? How could I hate somebody like that if I was saved? How, how could I be so self-centered if I was saved? How could I, how could I be so stinking sinful if I'm saved? Because we're, we, we, we default to the idea, I'm saved because I'm a good person. No, you're saved because the Son glorified the Father. And, it, and you know what it does? It sets you free from doubt. And it makes you repent. It makes you just say, Lord, forgive me. There I go again. Lord, forgive me. I, I, don't, I don't help me not to do that. That's why I pray when I pray a lot of times, Lord, help us to understand. Help, help me to help the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said. We can't understand Scripture except the Spirit helps us. So, Lord, help me to understand. Help me understand myself. Help me understand what you did for me and put it in the right category. So that's assent. Okay? The third thing is, the third thing is trust. And it's illustrated very simply. Repentance means I'm living my life in this direction. And you know what this direction is? Sorry about that. But this direction is selfish. This direction is Jerry is king. Jerry, life is about Jerry. This direction is that I repent from that and life is about Christ. That doesn't mean that I'm I'm do-goody all the time. (laughs) It doesn't mean that. It means that I've turned away from worshiping myself to worshiping Christ in my life, in my, in my purpose, 
Now, my purpose still might be that I, I work for a, a, a oil company or I, I, I work for, today I work for the golf course, golf course part-time. So to, that's, that's my daily life. But it means that I belong to Christ. I've turned away from being my own king to making him my king. That's commitment. So you could have, you could have a belief in the content. You could even assent that I believe that's true and never make that commitment. Over the years, I've talked to people and, and showed them from Scripture how Christ died for them, and they say, you know, I believe that. I've heard that all my life. I believe that. And I said, would you commit yourself to that? Would you trust Him as Savior? Would you ask Him to save you today? And they said, no, you know, I don't feel like that's the right thing to do. So they're not saved. Okay? So intellectual is not enough. James said the devils believe and they tremble, but they're not saved. It's just not enough. So I hope you get that. I hope you teach that to your kids. You don't have to remember those three things, but you have to remember that salvation is your life commitment. It is not just what you say. It is not just that you went through the baptismal waters. It is your life commitment to Christ. And so, uh, that's what Jesus said. Look to me and be saved. Isaiah said it in Isaiah 45. Look to me and look to God and be saved. Uh, so, so, what's it mean? You know, again, you go back to John and Jesus said these things. I'm the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the water of life. He is the substance of life in every facet he is the substance of life. Now, it doesn't mean the life that we're living today physically, but it means he is eternal life. He is the, he's the spiritual life that he, that he gives to us. So it's more, and these people, if they looked at that serpent on the pole, they were physically healed. You know, I, I can't imagine when that word began to go out and, and people are being bitten and they're dying throughout the camp, and, and the word began to go out, and they would say, well, Grandma said that when you get bit, you put a, you, you put a compress on it. You know, you chew tobacco and put that tobacco on there, you know, or uh, what they did back, you know, you suck out the venom, you know, hope, hope we, and so, you know, I, and they would say, how silly is that? How silly is that? It's those serpents that are biting us. How silly is that for us to look at one on a pole? Don't you imagine that happened? And that's what's happening in our world today. People are saying how silly it is to say that 2,000 years ago that somebody died on the cross and that he was resurrected and that he forgives my sin as if I needed forgiveness of my sin because I'm not that bad a person. And that's where our world is today. Romans 1, when they knew God, they glorified him not, but became vain in their imagination and glorified the creature rather than the creator. That's where our world is today. That's where the world's always been. That's where the world is today, except for the intervention of God. Okay, so now we're going to move back. Interesting thing about surfing on a pole is that Evidently, they kept this bronze serpent. And in Hezekiah's reign, after Saul and David and Solomon, when you get to Hezekiah, later on, people began to burn incense to this bronze snake. 
So evidently they kept it. I don't know where they kept it. I don't know if they kept it in the temple or who, who kept it. But hundreds of years later, they're burning incense to it. And Hezekiah destroys it. Because then it became an idol. At this point in time, it wasn't an idol. It was an object, but not an idol. Because an idol is an image of God. You know, so and people began to worship it and it was destroyed. And then, and then it's interesting. You could do a little Google search or Wikipedia. <clears throat> And the medical symbol is a serpent on a pole. Some people believe it came from this. Some people believe it came from Greek mythology. And uh, <clears throat> so it's just interesting to me that that's where it is. <clears throat> okay, we have a little bit of time left. And uh, all right, the shadow on that clock. Is it 10 till? 5 till? Okay, we have a little bit of time left. And I read a Schofield Bible, okay, <clears throat> which means that it's a New King James Bible, but it has it's, it's Schofield notes, okay, so, uh, <clears throat> which doesn't make that holy. But it's interesting about what he says about this chapter, and I want to give you that very briefly. And if you have a Schofield Bible, you have notes in that. If, if not, let me give it to you. He, he says this chapter contains the spiritual order of forgiveness and uh, about what happens when you're forgiven. And, and so he gives it back in verse 8 and 9, he gives it as atonement. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery servant, set it on a pole. It shall be that everyone who's bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses did that and people who looked at it lived. Atonement means your sin is atoned for. So he's saying, Schofield's saying this is the symbolism. So you're atoned for. And then he said in verse 16, which we hadn't read yet, from there, the nation of Israel, they went to Beer, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. And he's saying, water is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so when you're, when you're atoned, your sin is atoned, you're, giving the, you're given the Spirit. We're all, we who know Christ are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And then... He said, that brings joy in our life. That's verse 17 and 18. And after this water, Israel sang that song, Spring up, O well, all of you sing to it. The well the leader sang, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. So they're singing for joy. And then he said it leads to power. And in verse 21, down through verse 24, then Israel sent messengers to sign. Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all the people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz, and they fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of the land from Aaron, Anon, Aaron, to Jabok, as far as the people of Ammon. Then the border of the people of Ammon were fortified. And so when we read this and we think, okay, you have atonement, then you have the Holy Spirit given to you, you have the joy of the Lord, and then you have the power to live in the Spirit. You know, today I've talked about my tendency to sin. But the only reason I don't is I have the power of the Holy Spirit within me. Now, I'm not saying I don't sin, but the only reason I don't sin more and the only reason I don't give myself over to sin 
is that I have the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within me. So I glorify God not through my power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within me, and so do you. So we have the power to say, I die to self, give myself to Christ. And it's not willpower, it's the Spirit power. Now, I don't want to go crazy here, but it's not, the, it's, not the, it's not the power of the Spirit to heal people or lay hands on people or speak in tongues. It's not, it's not that, but it's the power of the Spirit to, to say to the Lord, I am separated unto you. I want to live for you. I want to honor you. I, 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 want, I, want, to, I want to love my wife to your glory. I want to love my children to your glory. I, I want to be a part of a congregation to your glory. I want to speak to the people I come in contact with in the world about Christ's forgiveness to your glory. See, that's, that's the power of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit, the Spirit allows us to do that. Lord, I, I, want, to, I, I want to discipline myself from, from glorifying myself. That's the power of the Spirit helps us to do that. The power of the Spirit helps us to humble ourselves before the Lord. So it's interesting. Uh, I thought Schofield notes were, were very interesting. So let me, in the time we have left, let me just say again. <clears throat> Israel has moved around. They've come back to the east. And, and they're going to fight some battles before they go into Canaan. Uh, we fight battles ourselves. See, we, we're the people of God. And, and we battle self, mostly. But we also battle the world. And we battle the devil. Okay, that's our enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, I don't know who's top of your list. The flesh is top of my list. And then uh, do a little battle with the world and uh, a little battle with the devil. But we can't blame it on him at all. So, okay. We've got time for a question or two, if you happen to have a question. Well, let me pray, and we'll go early to church, Okay. Our Father, we thank you that you have loved us. We thank you for the examples of these people of Israel. Lord, we thank you that Christ was lifted up, that we might see him, and that we might be saved. We are so grateful, Lord, how you've changed us and blessed us. Uh, Lord, we, we have the joy of the Lord. Let us express it in our lives. I confess, Lord, that sometimes we get so, I get so burdened with the details of life, I forget your grace. I forget the mercy that you've extended to me. And, and Lord, um, I, I'm like Israel. I, I say, Lord, I'm so tired of this, uh, this, this life and this bread and that you provided my humdrum daily life. And uh, so, Lord, forgive me for that. Uh, forgive me that I, I lose the joy of knowing you. Uh, Lord, I, I, I lose the... Uh, ex- acceleration, uh, excitement, and exaltation of uh, what you've done, and I don't glorify you as I should, so please forgive me for that, and Lord, help us to remember all that you've done, and uh, to give you glory in every aspect of our life, and we'll praise you in Christ's name, amen. Well, God bless you. We will see you in church.